and turn to 1 Corinthians 7. We've been working through 1 Corinthians a little bit at a time. So I did a um, wedding last Saturday. Two people who go to church here, Katie Blackwood. If you have um, young children, you've probably seen her. She's the blonde who sits at the desk. She has real curly hair, checks your preschoolers and your nursery uh, babies in. And uh, Mitch Carroll, he sometimes runs sound for us every couple of weeks. Probably seen him back there as well. So I was doing their wedding, and we go through the whole thing. It's outside, and you kind of come to the end. And really, the parts you can mess up by the time you get to the end. There's just there's not a lot left. And all we had was you may kiss the bride, and then the turning and the walking down the aisle. There are no fumbles at that point. That's the highlight for the couple usually. And they they did a song. There was a song. They took communion. There was this uh, somebody was singing during communion before the kissing part, and they were kind of talking to each other, and I was thinking, mm, you got a guy singing over here, and y'all are up here, all cute, whispering to each other, and anyway, I didn't know what they were talking about. I was trying to be holy and pray during the <laughs> communion song. So at the end, I say, you may kiss the bride, and both of them lean over and kiss me <laughs> on my cheek. So if you know me, I don't like touching at all. Hugging, none of it, much less kissing. And they're like, they're short. It's kind of like these two little Smurfs just leaned up, one on each side. My wife, Misty, was in the back and said, I was beat red. I never don't know what to say. I'm fumbling for what's next. It made me squirm. Today, we're going to talk about something that might make you squirm. It does make me squirm as well. We've just been working through 1 Corinthians. This section we're going to talk about today is on sex. Are there any, if you're under 12, I would say moms and dads, you might want to find an alternate venue for them for the next uh, little stretch. would be wonderful. Um, For the rest of us, we kind of have to, we're going to plow through this, uh, not meant to make you uncomfortable at all. It's not. God created sex. It's an integral part of a healthy marriage, and it's something that we need to be able to talk about, and it's something that within your marriage, you have to get to a point where you can talk about and feel comfortable with. Otherwise, it creates bitterness. It's not good long-term for what it can do to your marriage. So we're just going to work through this uh, as it comes, starting in verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. So... uh, 1 Corinthians is actually the third letter in correspondence going back between Paul and the Corinthians. He started the church, then he writes them a letter, then they reply to his letter with the letter, and 1 Corinthians is his reply to their reply. So from chapter 7 on through to 15, there are these times where he's quoting them back. This is what you said in your letter, I'm responding. So uh, about for the matters you wrote, it is good for a man not to marry. The NIV is actually awful, uh, it's not what it says. It actually says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And to touch a woman is a euphemism for sexual relationship. So it actually says, is now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have a sexual relationship with a woman. There's nothing in Paul that would ever indicate that he would say it's not good for people to get married. He equates in Ephesians 5 uh, marriage to Jesus' relationship with the church. He has a high view of marriage, although he himself at this point was not married. Some people wonder if he was either widowed or if his wife left him uh, when he became a Christian. 
but there's no indication for him uh, in anything else that he wrote that he would say it's good for a man not to marry. This is actually a Corinthian slogan. They're saying it's good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. So that actually should be in quotes, everything after the colon. Uh, he's quoting back to them something they've said to him. But since there's so much immorality, remember last week we talked about in the church you have men visiting prostitutes and the church is okay with that. That's the immorality that's being referred to. Since there's so much immorality in this church, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Again, have, that's a euphemism, a euphemism for sexual relationships. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Again, the NIV is not awesome here. What Paul actually says is the wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. And the husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. And that idea of authority there means it's yours. You can do with it what you want. In 6.12, we looked at this last week, Paul says, I don't want anything to master me. I don't want to put myself under the authority of anything else. That idea of I don't want anything to master me, it's the same word here for how we are with our bodies. I'm not the master of my own body. My wife is, and vice versa. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Do not deprive each other. Better would be stop defrauding. One another. That word deprive is used in chapter 6, verse 8, um, in this instance of a lawsuit where one guy is suing another guy for cheating him. So he's saying, stop defrauding, stop withholding from your spouse what is rightfully his or hers. So stop defrauding each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self control. I say this as a concession, not a command. The concession is temporary abstinence. That's what the concession that Paul's making. He's, in general, he's saying within a marital relationship, there should be a full sexual relationship. If, perhaps, maybe hypothetically, y'all together want to agree for a certain amount of duration of time to abstain for religious purposes, that's okay, but I'm not commanding you to do that. It's a concession to y'all. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Uh, the gift Paul is referring to is celibacy, not singleness. Singleness is not a gift. It's a relational state, just as being married. That's a relational state. The gift is celibacy, and celibacy is a freedom from sexual desire. That's the gift that Paul is referring to when he says, I wish all men were as I am in the history of the church. Some people have taken that to mean that to be single is a more holy calling than being married. And somehow being married is giving into your flesh. He talks in verse 8 and 9. We'll look at this uh, the next time we get into this about people being inflamed with passion. Well, if you're going to be that way, it's better for you just to get married. It's not what's going on here at all. If you look over in verse 32, again, we'll get to this in the future, but just uh, for now. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. That's just reality. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. 
but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Again, that's just a statement of fact. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So let me say this. If you're single, for whatever reason, widowed, divorced, never been married, if you're single, uh, Paul talks a lot about that state in the coming verses. We're not going to have time to get to it this morning. What I would say to you, if you're single, is are you single and celibate? That means have you received this gift of celibacy? If you're single, no sex for you. The only righteous, holy context for sex is within a man-woman marriage. But if you're single and you would say, you know what, I really don't have strong sexual desires, that doesn't mean something is wrong with you at all. What it most likely means is Paul has, or God, not Paul, God has given you the gift of celibacy like he gave to Paul. That means you're free from sexual desires. means you're probably not going to get married. I would say you're not going to get married. And again, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong. You've been given a gift, and what you need to do is ask God, what am I supposed to do with this gift? Just like if you have the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy or any other gift, I would say you need to ask God, what would you have me do with this gift. Now it is, a percentage-wise, it's a small number of people who've been given the gift of celibacy. But if you have received that, again, that means you don't have strong sexual desires. It doesn't mean, again, that there's anything wrong with you, that something's not working in here. It means God has given you a gift, and it's in order for you to be devoted more fully to him. Reality is, if you're married, your energy, your attention, your time, your money are all diverted in multiple ways, that they're not if you're unmarried. That's what Paul says in verses 32 through 35. Now, there's a larger pool of people who are single who are not given the gift of celibacy. You're going to get married. You're just not married on November 13th, 2011. You're going to get married tomorrow or some other day. And what I would say to you, what I think Paul would say to you is, for you, you got to hang on until you're married. There's no outlet for you sexually until you say, I do. If you're dating, if you're engaged, and you can't control yourself, move the date up. That's, I'm not joking. Move it up. It's better for you to slap together your wedding than it is for you to live in sin until you get married. That's what he says. I'm not a romantic. I get it. What he's saying here, it's better. Go ahead and get married. If you can't control yourself, if you're dating, if you're engaged, you're in a long-term relationship, then you need to go ahead and do that. Go ahead and get married. That's the proper context for fulfilling your sexual desires. Until that time, some of you, maybe you're not dating anyone right now, but you really feel like, you're going to get married. God has given you a word about that. You do have sexual desires that are going to need to be fulfilled at some point. All of those kind of things. I would say for you, what you need to, what I would encourage you to do, you don't need to do it. What I would encourage you to do is ask God, what would you have me do with this time of my life? At some point in the future, I'm going to be married. At some point in the future, I'll probably have children. I don't right now. So what would you have me do? I've got more flexibility with my time. I've got more flexibility with my money. I maybe have a little more emotional energy to give. What would you have me do? Rather than kind of pining for this day out here in the future, I, I understand how 
difficult that can, or easy that is for me to say, difficult for you to do at times. But my encouragement would be to embrace life fully now, and at some point in the future, you'll get married, and that'll be great, and you can move on with that stage of your life. But until that time, rather than putting kind of all of your energy into waiting on that, ask God, what would you have me do right now in this season of my life? How would you have me serve you? What does it look like for me to be devoted fully to you at this point in my life when I don't have these other family obligations? Again, we'll talk some more in the future about widows, widowers, divorce, never marrieds. All of that is coming up in the future. But that's what I would say to you this morning. For those of you who are married this morning, the, what Paul is saying is pretty clear. You have the Corinthians who are hyper-spiritual. They've divorced their identity from their behavior again. And he's trying to get them to hold those two things together. In Matthew twenty-two thirty, Jesus, there's some Sadducees who are trying to trap Jesus. And so what they say to him is, suppose there's a guy and he marries a woman, and he dies before they have kids. And so there's this thing called leveret, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, marriage in, the, in Judaism, which says if, if you die without a child, then your brother takes your wife in order to have a child and carry on your family line. So what they're saying is, so suppose I, I marry a girl, and I die without any kids, and then my brother marries her and dies without any kids, my other brother, and there's seven brothers who do this. So in, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? They're trying to trap him. And what Jesus says is you, you've missed everything. At the resurrection, in this age to come, people won't marry or be given in marriage. They'll be just like the angels. So what's going on in Corinth, again, they have this hyper-spirituality. They're saying, well, let's just go ahead and do that. Let's go ahead and be just like angels now. If in the age to come people aren't going to get married, then why don't we do that now? So they were... Uh, pushing, there most likely was a group of women who were pushing um, spiritual marriage, marriage without sex. And you can also see what they're doing. They're encouraging people who can't control themselves to get divorced. There's all kinds of things that come out of that. For us this morning, you have this group of women who are pushing sexless marriage. And then you have men who are not able to control themselves who are going to the prostitutes. And so you have this cycle going on in Corinth. And the Corinthians are saying, listen, that we're, we're like angels now. We're going to go ahead and live in that reality. If these guys can't handle it, then they can go see the prostitutes. And it really doesn't matter because your body, what you do with your body, it doesn't affect your heart anyway. It doesn't affect your spirit anyway, so they can do whatever they want because God's going to destroy their body at the end. And what Paul is saying is, eh, you, you missed it. And so he brings a corrective. He would agree with them. It's good for a man not to have a sexual relationship with a woman if, that man is not married to that woman. If they're married, full sexual relationship, that's the expectation. Here's the concession. If for a time, if by mutual consent, if for the purposes of spiritual growth, you want to abstain, you can. But it needs to be only for a short time and by mutual consent. So that's pretty plain in there. So for us, what we want to do is talk about what does it look like to have a healthy sexual relationship. Before we get there, a couple of things. One, don't, don't, I'm going to speak in stereotypes, if that's okay. It's just easier for me, and it's faster. So my stereotype is going to be men and women. Guys, you're always on go. Girls, maybe not so much. So that's kind of the way I'm going to approach this. Notice what Paul says, though, is everything applies both ways. There's 12 pairs in chapter 7. And he all, everything he says to a man, he says to a woman. He says, husbands your, or wives, your body is not yours. 
Husbands, neither is yours. Husbands, you have a marital duty. Wives, so do you. Everything he says to one, he says to the other. There's mutuality here. You know, some people see sex as a man's privilege and a woman's obligation. That's not what Paul is doing here at all. Everything's on, this, on the level, but for me, I'm just going to speak in stereotypes because it's easier and it's faster. So, a couple of things. One, men, never, ever, 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 ever quote this verse to your wife, ever. Some of you have never memorized scripture, and this is where you're going to start. You're going to have it on your... It's on your refrigerator, you got on the bathroom mirror. Don't. Don't. Y'all are going to have family devotions this week. You're going to listen to the podcast. Honey, did you hear that? None of that needs to happen. Spiritual manipulation, God hates it. Using truth to get your own way, it's selfish. The emphasis in 1 Corinthians 7 is not on what somebody owes me. It's on what I owe them. Period. That's what's going on here. Paul is saying, here is your obligation to your spouse, not here is your spouse's obligation to you. That idea of selfishness cuts against everything we know about Jesus. So if you're, if you're at all trying to leverage this with your spouse, you've missed the point, and it's coercive. So let's say somehow you're able to manipulate the situation. You're taking, she's not giving, and that's not good. That builds up resentment. Over time, so that's the first thing I would say is don't you don't need to try to use this at all uh, against one another. I would say secondly is healthy sex life is vital. It's important to a healthy marriage. It's not gravy. It's not icing on the cake. It's not extra. It's not just for your honeymoon or when you're newlyweds. Nothing in First Corinthians seven indicates that at all. Healthy sex life is vital to a healthy marriage. Paul says you have a debt to one another sexually. You have a debt to your spouse sexually, and you need to fulfill that debt. There's an obligation there, not just when you feel like it. Paul pushes way beyond that. Again, he says stop defrauding. That's a strong word. Stop cheating one another if you're withholding from one another. So again, healthy sex life, very important ingredient, not the only ingredient, very important ingredient for a healthy marriage. Again, not an optional extra, not something that you know, for just when you just got married and as you get older, you can kind of allow that part of your relationship to fade. Last, this is not romantic either, but it's in here. A healthy sex life is a protection against immorality. That's what Paul says in verse 2 and in verse 5. He says, because of all this immorality, y'all need to have sex with your spouses. And he says in verse 5, if you're going to abstain temporarily, Come back together so Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, if you have your sexual needs met outside of your marriage, you can't blame your spouse. You can't say she wasn't meeting my needs or he wasn't meeting. That doesn't fly ever. It doesn't fly with God. However, as a spouse, look out for your spouse. If I don't know anyone who's ever cheated on their spouse on their honeymoon. It doesn't happen, I don't think. When you're when your, need, when your sexual needs are being met, then you're much less likely to be tempted to look outside of your marriage in order to have those needs met. Again, it's no excuse ever. We're 100% responsible for our choices. James says we're tempted by the own evil desires in our heart. Paul says it's your own lack of self-control. He doesn't blame the spouse. He's saying it's because you lack self-control. However, reality if those needs are being met, if you have a healthy sex life, 
then you're much less vulnerable to temptation from the enemy. And we just that's on the table, and that needs to be part of your thinking as we move ahead. So, what does a healthy sex life look like? What do y'all think? I don't want to know what you think. <laughs> you can tell me later. A couple of things. We live under grace. I'm going to give you a couple of specific suggestions recognizing that we live under grace. Not, this is not rules that you have to follow. This is not bondage. If you're married, you're adults, you can have this conversation. If you can't have this conversation, come see me and we'll figure it out. We have some other couples we can hook you up with. We'd be more than happy to help you talk through this stuff. So this is not rules. I'm just trying to be specific with some suggestions. What I see from 1 Corinthians 7, a couple of things on what it looks like to have a healthy sex life. One is it's mutual or it's shared, whichever word that you like better. Again, everything he says to husbands, he says to wives. Everything he says to wives, he says to husbands. There's this idea of equality when it comes to our sex life. I had a premarital counselor, and he said there are two levers of uh, control in a marriage, money and sex. In any study you look at, any survey, the two most common reasons people divorce are money and sex. It's just, it's just They flip-flop based on the survey and the study. And those are areas where we tend to control one another. So I'm going to talk to both of those things at the same time and kind of lump them together metaphorically. A lot of people, a lot of families here, you have your single income, or one of you, most likely the man, makes the most money. You make 80, 85, 90% of what comes in. And there can be a tendency from some of us who either make all or most to think of it as my money. And then sometimes what we do is we give our wife an allowance. Here's 20 bucks. Here's 30 bucks. We want full access to her body, and we give her this much access to our money. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's degrading, demeaning. It's a lack of trust. Total, it's, it's not equal at all. If you want full access to her, which the Bible says you have, she gets full access to everything as well. If you don't trust your spouse with money, then tell her you don't trust her with money. Don't give her $20 and say don't spend it all in one place. That's not, that's not honoring to her at all. It's, again, it's demeaning. I give my daughter an allowance because she makes her bed. I don't give my wife an allowance. She doesn't work for me. You hear what I'm saying there? So when it comes to money and sex, those things need to be, it, it's us. It's not mine, it's not my money, and it's not her body. They're ours. Everything is ours, and we need to talk about how we're going to, what we're going to do with what's ours. And there's nothing in that we reserve. That doesn't mean that you don't set aside money for whatever you set aside for. That's fine. You just decide together. You hear that. Some of you, your dual income. You have two streams of money coming in. This is me. You don't have to agree with me. It all should go into one pot. Creating separate checking accounts, to me, creates independent lives. I don't need you anymore. I take care of this stuff. You take care of this stuff. This is, these are the bills that I pay. These are the bills that I pay. To me, what that, that does not pull me together with my wife and make us one. That pushes us apart and creates independent lives from one another. 
that same idea can take place sexually, particularly after you've been married for a while, maybe you've got some kids. Again, I'm speaking stereotypically, wife gets tired. I've talked to people whose wives had said to them, go take care of that on your own. Not go cheat on me, but you hear what I'm saying. Go take care of that on your own. No, 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 no. All that does is create independence from one another. What we want to do is figure out how to become one. Do the hard work of figuring out how to have a healthy sexual relationship, whether you have zero kids or four or eight, whether you're tired or not tired, whether you've gained weight or not, whatever. Let's figure out what it looks like for us to have a healthy sexual relationship that draws us to one another, not say, I'm not in the mood, why don't you go get, take care of that by yourself? That creates independence from one another. Same thing again, I would say, with money. You don't want to do things that create independence from your spouse. To me, you, if you both have money coming in, that's great. Make sure it's y'all's and not mine and yours. I don't think that, that doesn't do anything to pull y'all together. So, sex and money can be used to manipulate it can be used to punish. I don't think most of that is conscious. I think it's actually subconscious. We kind of use those as levers to get what we want, particularly if we're passive-aggressive by nature. That's an easy thing to do. And my encouragement to you is don't. The remedy is shared. Everything is ours. Nothing is mine. And nothing is hers. Everything is us together. Second thing, frequency or regularity. So there's a continuum. Never and always. And you're somewhere in between. And that's what you need to figure out with your spouse. Where are you going to be? Guys, if you're saying always, it ain't going to happen. So you can go ahead and let that die. It's also not going to be never. We've got to figure out as a couple, where or what does it look like? What does healthy look like for us? What does regular look like for us? Paul says the exception and it's only a concession is abstinence temporarily, mutual consent for spiritual purposes. Outside of that, there's no reason for us to be abstaining, barring you know, some biological things that are going on there. So I would say for you, have the conversation with your spouse. To me, the people I talk to, biggest issue when it comes to sex is unmet expectations. And the expectations are not met because they're not shared. They're unstated, so then they go unmet, so that causes guys to have hurt feelings and to develop resentment in their heart towards their spouse. You've got to talk about it. When I do premarital counseling, there's only one piece of advice I give people who are about to go on their honeymoon, and it's talk about it beforehand. You need to figure out what does a good honeymoon look like for you. Guys, if you're thinking it means we never leave the hotel and she wants to go antiquing or something, that needs to be discussed beforehand but so you don't get upset. Some of you have children. Your parents finally say, I'll take them. Y'all have a long weekend. She's thinking, finally, I don't have to take care of anybody else. I can take a long bath, and I can go to bed early, and I can sleep late. And he's going, all right. I get her all to myself for a weekend. you got to talk about that. It's not you're going to get upset. You're going to get your feelings hurt. You're going to get resentful. You've got to be willing to talk about it. Guys, sometimes it's hard because it makes you feel needy. And you're used to being strong and you're the one who 
solves problems and she comes to you when she needs something. And it can be hard to say, listen, it's a need in my life. I need some help here. You've got to be willing to have that conversation with your spouse. You talk about where you're going to go to dinner. You talk about what you're going to You talk about everything except sex, which is a huge part of what it means to have a healthy marriage. We've got to get comfortable talking about it. For some of you, I had a, some friends that they struggled with this whole issue of sex and communication when they were uh, early in their marriage. And so they went to a counselor, and the counselor said, you need some sex-free days. That doesn't sound very romantic either, but that's what they needed, particularly her. She needed some days. I think it was Tuesday and Friday when I was in his accountability group. So part of my job was to make sure Tuesdays and Fridays you're not pushing her. It doesn't mean you can't touch her. It means you can't touch her expecting sex from her. And that's what she needed to know. She needed to know every time you rub my back, it's not because you're trying to take my shirt off. She needed to know that from him. And the only way for her to get that was for them to have days where she knew it's not going anywhere. It's non-sexual touching, which is important. And for her, again, some of it was stuff she brought into the marriage. She needed there to be those times where she knew it wouldn't happen, so she didn't have all this tension, and she wasn't trying to figure out where he's going, where she could actually allow him to love her. And for some of you, you might be there. It doesn't mean you're remedial. It doesn't mean you're juvenile. It doesn't mean anything other than for you to develop a healthy sex life within your marriage, there need to be times that she knows it ain't happening. And you know it's not going to happen. So you don't even begin to move in that direction in your mind. And if on the days that it's not going to happen, you ignore her, then you know you've got a problem. If the only times you pay attention to her are when you're hoping sex is going to be the end result, there's an issue there. And that will help you see your own heart and will help you love your wife better. Again, I'm speaking stereotypically. So y'all need to figure out, have the conversation. What does it look like? You need to make time for sex. It's important, according to Paul. If, if he says you have to decide when you're not going to do it, that implies to me you decide when you are as well. Movies aren't real. They're movies. That, that doesn't, that's not where we live, where everything is this romantic push towards sex. Usually it's you come home, and you're tired, and she's been working all day, and you slap food on the table, and you're trying to get kids bathed and in bed, and it's 9 o'clock before you even get to look at each other. That's reality for most of us. They don't put that in the movies. We've got to figure out, how do I develop a healthy sex life in the midst of the life that we live? It might be something that you have to talk about once, even once a quarter, maybe even more frequently than that, especially until you get maybe a little more uh, a solid foundation in this area, if it's been a source of frustration for you and your spouse, you might need to take some steps back and do some uh, what to you might feel almost silly in terms of creating an atmosphere where there's freedom and grace and safety um, to talk and to say yes and to say no and all those kind of things. So I'd say make time. Another thing I'd say is make, you need to have energy for your spouse. They don't get your leftovers all the time which is what most of us do. Again, it's such a push just to get to the end of the day. For most of us, we don't have anything left in the tank. You, many of you ladies, you work so hard with your kids, which is wonderful, but then your husband gets nothing. Not good. Figure out how to save something in the tank. Guys, some of you, you work 70 hours a week, and you come home, and you plop down in the lazy boy, 
and you grunt for three hours, and then at 10 o'clock you think, let's go make this happen. It's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. You've got to give her something along the way. It, that's just, you get that. You have to be willing to get, put energy into one another. I would say this to the guys. If she's unwilling, you need to ask her why. Ask her why. If she says, I'm tired, you can let it go once. Don't let her use it more than once. Ask her why. There's something going on, and you need to figure it out. And you need to be courageous enough to get in there. If she's not receptive to sex on a regular basis, you need to figure out what's going on and what you can do as her husband to help her. You don't pressure her. You don't quote these verses. You just say, what is happening here? Why, why is this part of our relationship falling apart. Most likely there's some emotional connection to it and you need to figure out what's going on. Don't get your feelings hurt. Don't get huffy. Don't get passive aggressive. Just ask the question and see what that does. Let's pray. So a couple of things. I'm just going to pray here for a few minutes and y'all can just Kind of grab onto what you want to grab onto. God, I want to pray for those who are single, who desire marriage. If there's some way to give a temporary gift of celibacy, so those uh, sexual desires are not so strong, so people don't feel. Uh, in bondage to those things so that doesn't dominate dating relationships. God, and that's my prayer for self-control, for righteousness, for purity, for those who are dating and engaged. Again, for those who are longing for marriage. God, my prayer is you'd bring husbands and wives together quickly. Why wait? God, my prayer is that, that you would quickly bring these relationships about. God, if there are any here who have who, who are gifted with the gift of celibacy. I pray that there be a real sense of um, joy in that gift. Not, I'm a freak, or there's something wrong with me, or why me, but a real sense of treasuring this gift, just like Paul treasured this gift and said, I wish everybody had this gift. God, I pray there would be that sense of pride in a good way over what you've given. You would speak to those who are not yet married. What does it look like to be fully devoted to you in this stretch of time? How do they stay in hope and faith for a spouse without becoming obsessed? How do they wait without having their life in neutral? God, that you would give grace and guidance and all of the things. I pray as a church who many people who are married, God, that those who aren't would not at all feel like third wheels or where do I fit? We'd be a, the, a full expression of the body of Christ here. God, I pray for those, whether they're married or not, who the whole issue of sex is traumatic. There's shame associated because of the past. God, I pray they would hear you say there's no condemnation if you're in Jesus Christ. There's none. God forgives all your sins, all of them. 
and removes them from you as far as the east is from the west. God, I pray for those who feel like damaged goods. They would hear you say to them, I make all things new. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. That's a full and complete statement. A new creation from head to toe, inside and out. God, I pray for any in this room who struggle with their sexual identity. They're more than their sexual identity, but that's a component. God, I pray for grace there for them as well. Lord, I pray for the married couples in this room where sex has been used by one as a sword, maybe by the other as a shield. God, I pray for healthy sex lives for all of us who are married. That there be, uh, where forgiveness needs to be sought, it would be. Where forgiveness needs to be granted, it would be. There would be mercy and grace extended. God, there would be real conversations this week between husbands and wives. Husbands would be willing to confess where their feelings have been hurt along the way. Wives would be willing to say, Sometimes I just feel like I'm a sex slave to you. God, and you bring healing in those relationships. That you would strengthen marriages. That there would not be an open door of temptation to the enemy because we have unhealthy sex lives. That our marriages would be protected from that temptation. Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is what we're going to do. I have no illusions 